denying God, and how it's important that we recognize those things because it's the same process that we see each and every time in the book of Jude as well as in our own personal lives today that we begin, we see those that deny the Scriptures, they convert or pervert the grace of God to live a sinful life, and then ultimately deny the authority of God in Christ. And that leads to apostasy or rejecting your religious beliefs, rejecting God, and that's what apostasy is. And so he then gives great examples historically of God's characteristics and God's judgment and how he's dealt with them, how he dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah, how he dealt with the angels, how he dealt with Israel. And there's that real connection there between faith and obedience. And it's uh, borne out in the picture and the story of Israel and how God dealt with them. And then he talks about the characteristics of these people that were creeping into the church and really causing problems and causing people to go away from God. And he talks about their characteristics and how that they follow greedily in the manner of Balaam, how that they follow after Korah in rebellion. And then ultimately, as we closed off there, we kind of, it was an, not necessarily an abrupt stop, but it was a good segue as we come into this afternoon's portion about this, where here was all the hard reality of what was going on as Jude wrote that letter. And remember who Jude was. Jude was a brother of Christ. And this was something that was very personal to him is because in John chapter 7, it tells us that he didn't believe Christ and who he was as far as the deity of Christ, and that process that he went through and after the resurrection of Christ, seeing that gospel spread the way it did, and then how now that gospel was being perverted by many people from outside within and using it for various reasons that were ungodly. And so that all sounded really, really harsh because Jude was extremely Harsh, he didn't pull any punches, and the way he talked about them, he used words such as filthy dreamers, and he didn't, we didn't, we see those things, but there is kind of a, a silver lining to the cloud in the, in the last part of Jude. And he tells us how to contend for the faith. You see, he began by saying that we needed to earnestly contend for the faith, and now he's going to tell us how we contend for the faith. And he says, But beloved, remember ye the war- words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should, there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own, God, uh, own ungodly law, lusts. These are they who separate themselves, sensual having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. So he gives us a way to deal and how to actually contend with the faith. And that's very important. It doesn't do much good to say, here's a problem, and here's a problem that is really big in, in the church, but I'm not going to give you a solution. And Jude gives us a perfect solution in how to deal with these problems. Number one, you'll notice that throughout this chapter, he's given us ways to identify those that would be pull people away. Not only those that would pull people away, but he's also given us 
great ways to identify when we have these problems in our own personal lives. And that's extremely important that we recognize that because ultimately, many times we look at it and we look at a chapter such as this or a book such as this and go, well, that's not me. But the reality is, is there's some of those things that we might have a problem with. And it helps us identify those problems in our lives and how to de- help, helps us deal with them in a godly manner. He says, the proper defense, first and foremost, is that you remember the words that were spoken before. Not only do you remember the words of Christ, but you also remember the words of the apostles. Remember those things which they taught you, but not only that, but also remember that they said this was going to happen. You remember Christ talked about this in Matthew chapter 24. Peter, Second Peter, or Peter referred to it in 2 Peter chapter 2. Paul talked about it in Acts chapter 20 whenever he was uh, meeting with the elders at Ephesus, that this was going to happen. They all saw what was coming down the pipe. And he said, you need to remember those words. You need to remember not only those words of that this was going to happen, but you need to remember the words that they taught you. Which leads to his next point in the sense that you need to continually build yourselves up. You need to continually grow. Whenever we look at passages such as Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. If there was ever kind of a three part sermon verse that's a good one, this one is one right here, if any of you are looking for a sermon, by the way. It's a wonderful process that he talks about in growth, that you received Christ, that you walk in Him, that you're rooted and established, and that you're not only rooted and established, but you're abounding, you're growing. The only way to ward off having those that would come in and cause problems in the church, the only way for us to ward off and recognize the problems that we have in our own personal lives is that we've got to be constantly growing, abounding in the faith, having a proper thanksgiving so that we can see when those things tend to creep in. You see, it's when we let our guard down and we begin to act like Cain. And we look at it and we go, it's not my fault. I'm not in this position because of anything that I've done. And we don't have a proper mentality of thanksgiving and a proper mentality of growing. And you can see quickly how we get ensnared and entrapped in exactly what these people were doing and falling away because they were not growing. So he says, you have to build yourselves up. And it's about a personal responsibility that my faith, my relationship with God, my growth is all a personal responsibility. It's a personal desire that I continue to grow each and every day. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, be ready to be revealed in the last day. You know, earlier we talked about this morning how that we are preserved as He identified in Jude, that we're preserved in the hand of Christ, that Christ said that God had given them those sheep and He was not going to allow them to be taken away because they were under His power and His control. And ultimately, we're preserved or kept without harm because of Christ. 
But the personal aspect of that is your faith. The power is supplied in God. The power is supplied in Christ. But there is also the responsibility of our faith. If we want to be kept in the power of God, we have to maintain our faith. We have to be diligent in what we want to do with our faith. We have to be diligent in the growth of our faith. We have to be diligent in the growth of our knowledge of those things the apostles in in Christ taught. He goes on to talk about the next step in this. To contend for the faith honestly and earnestly, you have to pray. It is a necessary and vital complement to the study of God's Word. One cannot properly look at God's Word and have it revealed to us in the mirror that it is and show us all of our weaknesses, all of our frailties, and all of our faults, and then go, I don't need to communicate with God about this. We're losing a major piece of the battle whenever we don't allow ourselves in humility to go to God and say, I need help. That my growth is essential in my communication with God. And realizing that it is only in His power that we can be helped. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, he says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And I like how James chapter 4 deals with this. If, if I'm being honest, James chapter 4 parallels a lot with the last six, six verses of the book of Jude. Earlier we looked at how Jude paralleled with Revelation and 2 Peter. Well, this part parallels a lot with James chapter 4. He talks about them asking, but asking to consume upon their own lusts. That they didn't know what they were asking for, they didn't know how they were asking, and everything that they were doing was wrong. Their desire in coming to God and asking for something, whatever it was, was not the way God wanted it. According to, To his will. Western Christianity has taken the principle of prayer and completely tried to ruin it. It has done everything it can to make it some sort of Santa Claus request process that is completely outside the bounds of God's will. I would like a new pickup. Why should I go to God and pray for a new pickup? It's not anything that is in accordance with His will. Now, it's one thing to say, I need to pray for modes of transportation if I have no transportation. But I've got a perfectly fine pickup truck sitting in the parking lot. And the only reason I'd want a new one is because, well, the bumper on that one's messed up now. I had a wreck this week. So that would be the only reason I'd really want a new one. This one's perfectly fine. 
But the Western Christianity teaches us to ask God for anything and everything, and He will supply that, and that's not the reality of what God wants from us. How often do we find ourselves in a position in which we're praying, not for ourselves, but for others? How often do we find ourselves in a position in which we're praying for the church and members of the body of the church and the struggles that somebody else is going through and not thinking about just consuming upon our own lust and having what we need or what we want? There's a very clear indication here as we go through this process of what Jude is talking about that we understand our role in humility in this situation, especially when we come to God in the aspect of prayer. He goes on to say, keep yourselves. That word keep is the exact same word that was used earlier in Jude chapter 1 whenever he said preserved, or Jude verse 1, whenever he said preserved. Those two are the exact same words. So while we indeed are preserved in Jesus Christ, our remaining preservation, if you will, is affected by our willingness to be in cooperation with God's will. Peter put it this way, that we are kept by the power of God through faith. Once again, there's this aspect of there's a principle of what God does and what Christ does, and then there is the aspect of our responsibility and our personal responsibility in all of this. If we're going to contend honestly and earnestly for the faith, we have to take care of our own house, as we oftentimes would say. We need to take care of our own soul. We need to take care of our own faith. In John chapter 14 and verse 21, it says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. The direct connection between obedience and faith is one that's taught over and over in the Scriptures. Obedience to keeping Christ's commandments. And that's how that we show our love for Him. As my Father loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as if I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Keeping ourselves... Preserving ourselves is an act of responsibility. And this is a principle that when you think about it, is one that's the parent-child relationship is very easy to understand. It's one that gets diluted in Western Christianity and you get terms like legalism thrown out there. But it's really a relationship that we should all very clearly understand in a parent-child, uh, parent-child structure. The child that is continually disobedient, the child that continually doesn't do what, he, what his parents want, is that a loving child? Is that what our parents want, wanted for us when we were children? And it's no different whenever we consider our lives and we consider our relationship with God, when we consider our relationship with Christ, when all He said was, if you want to continue in my love, if you want to continue to abide in me, then you continue in the things in which I instructed you. It's not a matter of legalism, but a simple recognition of the importance 
of what doing what God and Christ want. I remember when I was a kid, you know, if you did what the authorities wanted, you know, there would be other people that would make fun of you. If you would choose to be obedient. And there were times when I was a child that I may have gotten suckered into doing things that I ought not to do because of ridicule that was coming from other people. And then, I'm going to be honest, I was probably that kid on the other side doing the ridiculing more often than the other side, if I'm being completely honest, and pulling people away. That's the exact same process that happens with people's faith today. Deny God, deny the Scriptures, justify our lives, and you can suck anybody in. Keeping yourselves and keeping and preserving our faith, knowing that we have the power in God to do that, leads to the next point and another responsibility that we have, looking for the mercy of the Lord. Looking forward to the coming day of God, as Second Peter, as Peter said in Second Peter, and this mercy, looking for, looking forward, and looking in its proper context once again, and the early New Testament church and the amount of persecution that they were going through, they were continually admonished to look forward to the end, the end goal. And I believe that's a little bit more difficult for us today because, especially in our country, because we have it so good already. And it's a bit of a struggle sometimes to look forward to that which is greater whenever we don't really have it that bad right now if you think about it. In contrast to what was going on in the first century, and the persecution that there was going on, and the, at a governmental level, and the number of people that died for the gospel of Christ. But at the same time, it's not always easy. At the same time, there are times in our lives that we do have struggles. There are times in our lives that relationships and marriages and things like that aren't going the way we would like for them to go. And they're not going the way that we know that they should go. It's at points in time like this that we look forward to the coming of the day of God. Knowing that it won't always be this way. Knowing that at some point, it's happiness and bliss all the time. And we don't have to worry about getting up and dealing with the day-to-day struggles that we have to worry about. This should leave us, lead us to be more compassionate. You know, he talked about there being compassionate, having mercy and being compassionate on those that are getting caught up in this. And I believe this is an admonition that we all need to hear All the time. Because oftentimes when people get caught up in sin, 
our response to that is, that's their life. That's their choice and that's their decision. Or our response to it is, I don't understand why they can't get through this. You know, I don't have a problem with that. When my wife and I were younger, I've told you before that we, we had a problem with drugs. And we stopped doing it the day that we recognized that it was going to absolutely ruin our marriage. I remember for a few years after that, when I would hear about people that had struggles with drugs, my immediate go-to was, well, we quit. We quit doing it. Why can't they? That's not very compassionate. That's not very merciful. Because I can list a number of other things in my life that I still struggle with 20 years later and have struggles with all my life, but that I've not successfully overcome on a consistent basis. How arrogant for me to sit there and go, well, I got over that. You should be able to get over it too. When I've got this laundry list of issues over here that I've never been able to get over. That's not compassion. That's not helping somebody that's caught up in the struggles of the world. That's not helping someone who may be being pulled from away from their faith in God. We have to have compassion on those in their struggles. Because at some point in some time in our life, we're going to need compassion from somebody else. And it's going to be God. That principle of compassion and mercy has reiterated over and over in the New Testament. If we're willing to show mercy and compassion, God will be willing to show mercy and compassion to us. And this is a real life reason right here. It should motivate us to action. He goes on to talking about taking it even a step further, to pulling them up out of the fire, hating the garment that's even stained. How often do we allow a brother or sister in Christ just to walk away? Because we don't want to deal with the problems. Galatians 6 and 1 said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual will still restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. There's a two-way street here, and it's very real like that one I just described. Considering your own soul and how easy it is for your own soul to be ensnared in something, and you don't know what that is. But having the proper compassion to help a brother or sister out. This is how you contend for the faith. 
Contending for the faith is not allowing somebody to walk away. Contending for the faith is not allowing somebody just to be pulled in by these filthy dreamers. Contending for the faith, a very real and oftentimes dirty responsibility that we have is to help one another whenever we get sucked into problems. That cannot be accomplished sitting on the sidelines. I cannot successfully help my brother and sister out by simply watching Christianity and not being a part of it. Which is another problem that Western Christianity has made too many people believe. That your life and my life is not directly connected. That when your life has a problem, my life should have a problem. Unfortunately, Christianity is something that we do in our, in our culture, and it's not who we are. There's no way we are successful at pulling one, uh, one another from the fire if we're just sitting on the sideline and Christianity is something that we do and it's not something that we are. Clear illustrations and examples that Jude has given us and how we contend for the faith. How we defend our local congregation, but also how we defend our own souls. Not only that, but recognizing those things in our lives that may creep up. Do we have a bit of a rebellious spirit? How do I solve that problem? You go to the words of God. You keep yourself. You preserve yourself. You preserve your faith. You pray. And you be involved. That is how we contend for the faith. Christ suffered and died for this gospel message. He died for every soul in this room. He died for every soul in mankind has ever existed so that we might all have salvation. He simply requests that we take the time to be a part of His kingdom and we do this very thing each and every day. And help this congregation grow. If you've not submitted yourself to Christ to become a part of His kingdom, we can help you with that today. We can help you submitting in the waters of baptism, rising up to a newness of life, washing away your sin. If you would find yourself maybe struggling in some way in your faith, if you need prayers or assistance in any way that we can help you, we'd ask you to come forward as we sing the song that's been selected.